Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Hopefully everybody's doing well. I wanted to just remind everybody if you could go in and give a five-star review and comment, I'd really appreciate it. So this week, we're going to talk with Perry Batten. He's back from Drury Outdoors, and we're going to talk mostly about what he's got going on 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 the day-to-day. It's interesting for me to listen to what other people are doing. You know, there's everyone kind of has a different model and, and Perry's obviously the land manager, you know, with the juries and he's, he's working hand to hand with Mark and the team and he's, you know, coming up with, you know, strategy and, and layout like we talked about in the past, but it's always interesting to hear, you know, what is a day in the life of a land manager? You know, what do they do day to day? So I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear about that. And we're going to talk a little bit of tree stand strategy. So that's kind of the, uh, the overall uh, agenda for, for the discussion. Hey, Perry, you on? Yes, sir. Good, man. Uh, how you been? I know you just got back from your uh, your honeymoon, and you're hopefully relaxed, and you know you're ready to. You've been working, so what, what's been what's yeah. been going on? Yeah, I got back from that. We had a had a great time in Turks and Caicos, and then uh, kind of jumped right into finishing up planting uh, the rest of our bean fields. Wade was hard after it the week I was gone, but finished up that and, and got them sprayed. So. Uh, we're, uh, we got all the corn and beans in the ground and sprayed, and we've been getting some rain, so they're, they're doing pretty good. Good, good. That's awesome. So I, I think, you know, what, what I think people have all sorts of interest, and they, uh, they, you know, people can't do this on the daily, right? Not everybody's in the field and working. I mean, even with me, I'm, I'm working in the office quite a bit. Uh, I, I like being in the field. I like, I'm running a chainsaw. I think this week, Wednesday we got, I'm working and I, I got steel chainsaws is coming out to do a project with us. And so I'm, I'm, I'm busy this week, but a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm home and I'm on the computer and I'm drawing and coming up with management plans. I, I wish I was in the field every day. That would be the dream scenario for me. I, I know Todd Shippey on this podcast, does. you're in the field all the time. You're doing something all the time. Um, yes. I mean, there's a, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of time spent on maps and looking at farms with Mark and Wade and, and figuring out the plans. But 99% of the time I am outside and, and, uh, some days it's, it's 90 degrees, hundred degrees. And I'm like, I want to go do an office job. And then I sit inside for about three hours and I'm like, there's no way I could do this. So, <laughs> Uh, I, I love being outside. It's, it's, uh, it is a blessing to get to do that every day. Wade and I, we, uh, 
there's never like a set plan. Every day can change because when you're out in the field doing work, you know, if you have a breakdown or you forget a material you need when you go to do a project, things change very quickly. So maybe let's, let's talk this week. Uh, we've got, you know, we're, we're, we're just into the week and you know, everything again, like you said, it's day to day, but like a day like today, uh, what, what were you doing today? Yeah. So today we met at our main building, Wade and I met at the main building and, uh, we had built a, uh, homemade blind. We call them our scent proof blinds. They're kind of double walled and sealed up pretty tight. Um, but anyways, we had built that last winter and we loaded it on a trailer with our skid steer and had to make sure we had all the lumber because the blind was built, but we built the, the stand that it sits on in the runners so that we can move it around in the plot if need be. Uh, we got to make sure we have all that and curtains for the windows and chairs, carpet for the inside, you know, all the bolts and screws to put everything together. So it's a, and then you drive, this particular farm was 20 minutes from our building. So you have to pre-plan kind of when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, okay, what are we going to need? And then Wade and I kind of bounce off each other. Like, Hey, did we remember these screws? Hey, do we remember, you know, a piece of carpet or, you know, whatever it may be, but you know, cause a lot of these farms, I mean, there's some, a couple small towns close to them, but some days we could be a half hour drive from a hardware store to get a board we broke or something we forgot, you know? So my truck is a, is a mobile toolbox and uh, we try to make do with whatever we have if we forget something. Yeah, that's, uh, of course, you know, that's a lot of guys are in that boat. Uh, we, I just did a podcast last night with Rocky Burris on this. He's down in Tennessee and, you know, he's building on site, you know, setting up blinds, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier having a, a pre-made blind and having to just stick five, four by fours in it and just, you know, framing it up. So you said it's on skids. Uh, is it, is it skids with wheels or is it just kind of like a sleigh style? What What's that set up? Like? Yeah, we. Yeah, we put 16-foot uh, six-by-sixes, and then we notch out our four-by-four four posts for the for the legs, and then we just cut them at an angle on the end. So if we need to hook a truck to them with a strap or a chain or something, we need to move the blind within the area of the plot for a different wind or a corner where we see deer moving more than where we're at currently. Um, we can We try to make them as mobile as possible. Um, it's definitely helpful, but it's definitely, uh, they're, they're not on wheels. These are on, uh, wooden skids. Yeah. That, that's how my blinds are. They're on wooden skids and I skid them around. So it's, it's funny you guys are doing that. Hey, I, I just thought of something kind of interesting I, I'm working on right now. So, uh, on a piece of property, uh, it's a client property. I, and I'm doing this on my own property actually as well. So I, I use sorghum sedan grass. Uh, it's a hybrid. And um, that's what I use for my screening in some of the areas. It's cheap. I think I pay, I don't know, 44 bucks a bag. It usually does about, I don't know, an acre or so, something along those lines. And I'm lifting these blinds up. I'm waiting. I'm bringing them in. And then I'm setting them, you know, I'm, I'm setting them in these crop fields. And, uh, I, you know, 
it's all timing based, but I, I just had planted that particular, uh, that particular seed uh, a week and a half ago. I, I usually delay. I try to plant mid June and sometimes I, I plant at the end of June. And I, I kind of just like that idea of having like that screen already set up. And then eventually I, I go, you know, end of the year and wait, I wait till it, it kind of, you know, kind of towards the end of its life, life cycle. And I plop the blind in there. I don't know if you guys ever do anything like that, you know, screening and then moving and set up. I mean, you don't have to do it. If you, if you surround, I have small areas in space to work with because I, I can kind of, I don't know, I shrink down these fields a little bit. So I really don't have that much real estate to play with. And I want to get that, that grain as high as it possibly can, you know, seven, eight feet. And then I set the blind in it and I don't know. It's just kind of a new strategy I've been doing. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting, right? That is interesting. What kind of blinds are you setting? Like, are you setting a ground blind in it so it's like fully encased? Or are they elevated a little bit? Yeah, so slightly elevated. So basically when they open up the window, the bottom of the window is, you know, just at the height of that, that you know, the top of the, the, the grain or the grass, excuse me, and, and yeah. you can just shoot out of it. And then basically you reach your hand out and, and anything you got to fold over, you fold over. And it's cool because it encapsulates the base. So if you're elevated, I'm just kind of throwing out numbers. Here. Let's say there are four or five foot legs that you're sticking onto the bottom of that, of that frame. Um, you know, your elevation is going to be about eight foot. It's going to be perfect at the bottom of that window. So that's a, a strategy I've been kind of playing with over the past, I don't know, a couple of years, but I'm doing it this year on client properties, which is, which is kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. We definitely play with screens. Um, some road frontage properties that we have that uh, plots close to a road or a neighbor that is a little bit deadly on our deer that we like to uh, <laughs> give a little privacy to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we definitely do plant some screens. We, we tried to uh, some mis- miscanthus grass. Um, it's, it's doing really good. It's second year coming on. We, we put some nitrogen down for it and it really, really blew out of the ground this, this summer. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would think your second year miscanthus, like, Oh geez, I got to be careful here because a lot of people have been like anti this particular plant. So anybody who doesn't have a clue and I I just want to clue people in on this. I have silvergrass, uh, in my, as an ornamental in my yard and miscanthus is, is, supposedly sterile right and you get all these naturals they're like you know it's it's modified but you you never know you know life seems to find a way kind of like that thought process yeah you know right wrong or indifferent i have been on client properties and these guys have been placed uh miscanthus grass not just for screening but in bedding areas and the layout oh my goodness that is such Mm. a killer that's such a killer thing to do um, if you have the right conditions, it's not super wet. The elevation is correct. Again, you have decent sunlight. I, I think miscanthus is a game changer in some of these areas. And, and I'm not trying to promote it because um, it, it's quote unquote, you know, not natural. Um, but at the same point, I've seen really good, you know, not just screening, but like bedding cover with it. I, I don't know if you guys, you mess around with that at all. Have you considered that? Uh, not for bedding. We, most of our, grassland properties are in like CRP programs. So we have to stick to the, like a certain mix, but we try to get as much stemmy tallness as we can, you know, Kentucky blue and stuff like that. Yep. But, uh, I certainly have seen some amazing miscanthus, uh, farms as well that had no bedding and was hard to do TSI because it was a tree line type, uh, farm, you know, thin timber. They didn't want to cut the, the only trees they had. And so they planted some acres of this stuff. And not only does it help with the bedding, like you were saying, but 
you mow a path through and it is just the ultimate funnel. You know, they're following that path. Yeah. And just think an elevated blind over something like that is is a killer, killer setup. Absolutely killer. Hmm. All right. Well, I think we got off topic because I want to get back to kind of a day day in the life of you. So, you know, that was kind of a good example earlier. You know, you got a project, you got to have all your equipment together and you're thinking ahead. But let's talk about maybe the next couple of weeks or maybe even in the past. You know, what what what's a week like? What are the projects you're working on? And, and how you know, it could I know it could be anything, but take take us back to something that you've been you know, a week of yours and, and just maybe it was a tough week. And, uh, you know, Mark was yelling at you or, you know, I don't know, <laughs> Wayne was being a jerk, you know, I don't know. Give us, give us a little story. Well, heck the week I was going on my, on my wedding just two, uh, three weeks ago now, uh, before I left, we had all the corn in the ground. Uh, and we, it was doing good and most of it sprayed. And then we were into bean planting and, uh, Wade finished up the beans when I was in, uh, on my honeymoon. And when he went to spray them, he was misinformed. We both were at the time. I, I would have done the same thing if I was him. Sure. He was just the, <laughs> the culprit that, that got it. Uh, but he ended up mixing a post or a pre-emergent spray and spraying on a post-emergent plant. And it nuked, all the beans that he sprayed that day, which was 23 acres. Uh, So that was a, that was a rough, a rough phone call on a Monday when I'm headed back to Iowa to go back to work. You know, he calls me, he said, Hey, I just looked at this field. You know, I, I sprayed the mix you had sprayed with, sent me with the rates and the numbers and everything. I measured it out. And and I said, man, I, I don't know. And then come to find out, we talked to our chem rep and he was, uh, he told us that, that was a pre-emergent only, and we had sprayed on post-emergent plants. A mess up on our end, and and Mark was not happy with us. But you know that's that's part of the part of the day in and day out. We not everything's perfect. Breakdowns happen, mistakes happen. We've all been there. I've I've had my fair share of mistakes too. But absolutely, it's uh, it's jump back on the horse and run till the night's end. To, to plant the rest of those fields again and, and move on. So, and, and that's what we had to do and that's what we did. And, and we're back to where we need to be. And luckily mother nature's treated us well with some rains here later that we normally don't get, I think. So our, our beans are going to do okay. I think so. So did you have a little plant back period where you had to delay because of what you applied or was it, was it able to, did you get it maybe some timely rains <clears throat> tend to weather those uh, herbicides? What, what, what happened there? So it was okay because that spray was a pre-emergent. So we then went and replanted through it. So the plants were in the ground and then came out, sure. you know, through, through the residual that was there and, and they're okay now. So good, good. So the, the intended herbicide, at least that point that you were trying to originally intend to do, uh, wasn't harming your future planning, obviously your current, you know, Status. I mean, I've seen guys do that hundreds of times. Heck, I've done that plenty of times. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's (laughs) it happens. But we were we were sitting very very good, and and then we had twenty three acres of beans go go dead. So it was a it was a rough week. We got through it, you know, and we're moving right along. We got all the row crop in the ground, and kind of the day to day going forward. At this week, I'll bring you guys up. We're. uh, putting up new blinds. Uh, we just, 
we had a dozer guy come in and uh, we finished out a new plot that we designed in a, in a low area on an 80 acre piece. And uh, we set up a new blind there today. And then uh, we've got four blinds to finish out this week, erecting new ones in, in plots that were either had a mobile type system in them for that we can move around. We're going to pull the mobile out and put a permanent there. Uh, we sometimes do that on plots that I, I guess when we say it haven't proven themselves yet, we, we design a plot, put it in yep. and it, it doesn't always do the best the first year. Um, sometimes it takes the deer a year or two more to, to figure it out and realize that it's there and use it uh, in daylight hours, which is what we need. Um, so we have mobile blinds that we can move around and we sometimes utilize those on newer plots until they prove themselves. And then we will go in and erect a permanent type. Going back. And I know the, the box blind example that we talked about earlier and we talked to the, I think we talked about this in previous podcast, the predominance of your hunting is out of box blinds for the filming and, and obviously scent control and, and all those things. It is. Yes. I mean, we certainly have mm, five really key, uh, tree stand locations that we utilize mainly during the rut or mornings, but most of our hunting on the filming side is in the evenings over a food plot or in a, in a really good pinch area. But in those pinch areas, we try to even create a little food plot if we can. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So are there, are there any instances, I guess in this example, and I'm, I'm, you know, not sure your layouts obviously in, in the farm, and you could have a farm with a, a, a fair amount of, of box blinds. I mean, maybe you have the larger farms, and obviously that's an annual maintenance thing. You've got to go in and make sure that they're prepped, there's no water intrusion, any of the things that you typically deal with. Do you, you know, do, what is the basic prep, preparatory things that you're, you're doing kind of around the tree stand setups this time of year? Because a lot of guys are starting to get ready for hunting season. They're, they're thinking about, you know, should I cut shooting lanes or, you know, maybe I need to start worrying about my access trails in, in the stands. Anything that you're doing right now when it comes to getting ready for hunting season specifically as it relates to stand setups or maybe you're even putting out, you know, scrape trees or anything like that. Anything that you're doing? Certainly uh, today, like when we put that new blind up, Mark was there with us looking at the plot because the dozer guy had finished, but, uh, we all three walked around, looked at how we're going to access this. And, and, uh, Mark's actually down here on the farms this week. He's going to be running the skids here, but, uh, playing on his own dirt a little. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, we figured out where the access to this plot is going to be. And we're going to put the access in now and kind of mow it with the skid steer, but mow it high because, and then let it regrow a little because we don't want the deer to use our axis and then come up right behind us and get our wind, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you guys in that. I delay any access areas like that unless I'm digging like a, a ditch with an excavator, uh, you know, to kind of pop up through the bottom of it. I don't know if you guys have uh, gone that route. Actually, that's something you should talk to Mark about this week. You know, see, he's got the skid steer. Start building walls, Mark, and, uh, you know, create screening cover, then uh, segregate that with fencing. I think maybe something we had talked about previously and, uh, you know, create some segregation. But I'm, I'm not usually cutting trails into tree stands at this point because, like you said, that's a that's a path that they may end up using. And then you're fighting that, you know, the rest of the season because they're going to cut your track. You know, that's what yeah, I've experienced. For sure. 
and that's kind of why we're going to do it now early mm-hmm. and let that regrow so that they, uh, that they don't. And we'll even, we'll even like, if we mow in an access, like when I'm coming out of an access, if I mow it in, I'll go and take a chainsaw and knock a smaller tree down, kind of a brushy tree or a cedar if I can just right in the trail so that they, they'll go around. Good idea. Great, great. Actually, that's a great idea. Really great. And then we just, then we just trim a few limbs off of it so we can step over. Um, but the deer are, at least the deer here in the Midwest are lazy enough that they will walk around and (laughs) find it. (laughs) The the lazy Midwest deer that you guys are hunting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, not, not much different here. Um, what other things are you, you know, what what are you working on or plans that you got coming up? Uh, Plan wise, we're, we've been uh, starting to think about our green fall plots, green fields, what I refer to them as, uh, kind of figuring out what product we're going to put where, kind of game planning. Something here in the Midwest we deal with a little bit on green fields is uh, deer pressure. Uh, some green fields we have to think about electric fencing off so that we can grow groceries so that they have something to eat when, we, uh, when we're allowed to hunt them. We've had a few plots just get get murdered and and never be able to grow. They they pop out of the ground and, and they mow them off. So that's something on our radar is getting our greenfield seed ordered and figuring out what products are going to be on what farms. Now that corn and beans are done, we've got that out of the way. We kind of move along, you know, to what is in the future, and that's first of August. We really somewhere in there first of august into the 15th we really hit greenfields hard so perry can you just for you know clarification for people they they hear greenfields i may not know what that means in, in your mind what does what you know what type of uh, seed are we talking yep yep so greenfields we i would say our favorite greenfield product to go to is a deer radish a radish of some sort um, and then we use a lot of, we have a lot of clover that we maintain throughout the year. That's a green field source. Uh, we also use last bite, which is a mix of wheat. I think it has some oats in it, clover. It has like a winter bulbs and radishes. It's a, just a mix. Um, any, any green food source that once the beans defoliate, we have a green food source that deer are going to transition to them. And then so. talk, talking about the electric fence, for example, what would be generally, and I know this is site specific. I mean, are these fences encapsulating an area of an acre, half an acre, four acres? What, what, what are you, what are you typically using at least from a dimensional standpoint? How, how large are the fencing areas? Yes. Yeah, mostly right at an acre. Okay. okay. Um, if we have a green field that's, any acre and a half to two acres, they mostly won't, there's not enough deer to eat all of that. We'll, we'll grow a field, but anything right at an acre to, to a half, sometimes depending on the farm and location, uh, we have to fence them just cause we just, from a number standpoint, just have too many deer. I've kind of wondered this a little bit. So you've got a slew of equipment, you know, at the farm, at the workstation, how many tractors are, I mean, how many tractors are you guys, like, I know you have to travel and you probably have to road <laughs> some of these tractors. How many tractors are you running on with your farms that you're working on locally? Yeah. So where I live in Iowa, 
we have three farms five minutes from my house right here, and that would be our farthest northern farms. And then we cross the Missouri line, and our farthest, our southernest most farm in Missouri, we're about an hour north to south for our farm layouts. Gotcha. Um, to put that in perspective. And so we have a barn in Missouri with a 90 horse uh, front wheel assist tractor, and we keep a disc and field cultivator down there and a mower. And then we have a 417 acre farm, which is our biggest farm at the moment. That's the most acres we uh, in one consecutive piece have. We have a 60 horse John Deere two wheel drive and we keep a small brush hog and disc at that farm. And then our main building in Iowa, we have a 120 horse deer, with a skid steer that stays there, bean drill, planter, um, disc, field cultivator, tiller. That's pretty much home base. But uh, normally we have a tractor that we need at whatever farm we're going. Not every farm, but a general neighborhood. We're within 10, 15 minutes of a tractor. But to road your as you were saying, roading, yes, we mainly have to take equipment as in our bean drill, our planter, tiller, something of that nature to the farms. And it, that is the hardest part in my opinion. And Wade agrees with me normally on this is the logistics of getting what we need to the farm to complete the project. Absolutely. I mean, even on somebody who lives a few miles away, you know, you've got, let's say you have small equipment and you've got to pull over a cultipack or a set of discs or a no-till drill. I mean, just the logistics of those things take time, you know, and, yep. and if you're miles away, I mean, that just even adds more delay. So I've, um, I understand, and I think it's interesting. I think it's nice saying, yeah, we don't have all these. I think a lot of people, when they think about, the juries, they think of these enormous farms that are like this, you know, illustrious layout. And it's like, no, we got a 60 over here and a, you know, 120 over here. It's not like, it's not this 2,000, 5,000 acre property that, that, you know, that, that encapsulates, you know, this mainstay hunting ground. And, you know, it's, I think it's different than people perceive. That's, that's my, yeah. that's my thought. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, like I said, our, our biggest farm currently is a 417 acre farm and, uh, it is in the middle of our northernmost farms and our southernmost farms. But I mean, we have a lot of farms where we have maybe an 80 sitting 15 minutes away from our closest other property. So, and, and that 80 needs as much attention as that 417 does. You know, there's two or three fields on it, two or three blinds, you know, trails to mow, plots to maintain. It's, we don't, Mark's strategy through the years has gotten away from big farms because with EHD and just genetic, genetic pools of deer, the more neighborhoods you tap into and you get 10, 15 minutes away from the farm that you have, you get into different genetics maybe get into different areas where EHD, if it hits that summer, it doesn't hit in this area. So that's why we're so spread out, but that's also why we're very successful. 
I think a lot of people would find, would be surprised to even hear what you just suggested, because I think a lot of, you know what, this brings me to another point. So I was thinking about this not too long ago. So I got this client with this this large piece and it's really sizable. It's it's, it's close to a thousand acres. And, uh, you know, we were talking about strategy and he doesn't have an employed full-time farm manager and uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in doing any of that stuff at this point, but it is interesting thinking about the amount of time and effort involved. And I, 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 I did a computation for him about the number of hours, the type of equipment, the investment and all, all those things that go along with that. And on that sized farm, even having everything co-located, all the equipment, the volume of time, he really needed a man and a half knowledgeable and, and you would only be able to maintain some efficiency across that particular property of like optimizing it. And I said, you wouldn't be fully optimized to probably year five. That's even full-time work. That's optimizing every, you know, every inch of it and diversifying kind of like what you're talking about. So to think about multiple farms, you know, with the logistics piece of it, that blows my mind. Right. And so that's why you need multiple guys working on these, you know, larger pieces of property. A lot of people don't have those opportunities, but I, I've gone back to like me, I'm a 50, I own 50 acres, 50 acres is a a ton of work. I mean, I planted my food plots in the dark because I don't have time. You know, I'm, I'm running a hand seeder at night and putting my hand in front to see, you know, do I have the right, you know, dispersion of seed coming out of it because my headlamp isn't that bright. Yeah. Yeah, Is your your rate set right? Are we going to mess this up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be so basic and raw with people. It's like, this is a lot of time invested in, in, you know, a, a productive property and, I don't know. I, so I think if people don't understand the amount of time and effort and work that you personally, you know, Perry's putting into these properties and managing on the daily. I mean, we're cutting timber this week on a guy's property. I mean, he's tickled pink. I mean, I love cutting timber. I could cut timber every single day. It's damn hot this time of year to be cutting timber. I mean, it's, you know, and, and will he get a benefit? Absolutely. You know, we're harvesting trees, you know, saw trees and we're, I'm culling trees and we're doing TSI projects and, you know, we're doing specific layout precision bedding and hinge cutting and the whole nine. It's just like, it is a lot of work to lay out these properties. It's a lot of, lot of work, yeah. a lot of saw time and <laughs> take a couple gallons of water with you (laughs) exactly and i'm kind of pumped steel's coming out this week because they're doing kind of uh they're seeing all the work that we're doing and i i've kind of been pumped to be tied in with some bigger organizations because i'm like we're doing some special stuff out here in you know good old new york and i think once they see the volume of cutting and and that and uh so it gives them a chance to kind of consider um well, we'll see where, where that goes. And, and I shouldn't say there's an affiliation. We're, we're just providing some recommendations. And that, that's always good. It's always good to have feedback and um, light equipment. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. A company, company like that. We, uh, when I was at U of I, when I went to college, I worked at the research forest. And uh, Steel was a big grant donor for, for the research forest that I worked at. So they helped us out with a lot of new saws and just uh, gave us a lot of good equipment. Yeah, and I'm so. not. I'm not saying you know Husqvarna. Any of these companies that are that are out there is is cool to be as, associated with anything, and just you know pay attention to equipment. That, I asked you about your equipment earlier because I think a lot of people wonder. You know, they must have 400 horsepower tractors, and you know they must be running you know these massive pieces of equipment. I mean, I know the real you know that stuff's really expensive, especially for quote unquote deer farming, right? Um, yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of people that think we just have endless uh, amount of equipment and we can just get whatever tractor we want. But the, the key there is like, you know, if you see a 
300 horse tractor with a 30, 30 foot planter out in a, in a cornfield. That's awesome. But to take that and make it into something that you deer farm with, it's impossible because we range from plots being half an acre to our biggest plot being right at 18 acres. You know, we would be able to use that piece of equipment on our one giant field. That's it. You know, you'd never get that piece of equipment into some of these farms to plant that two or three or four acre plot that we're planting. So we have to be big enough to be efficient, but small enough to be able to get into the farms. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be mobile in those situations. All right, let's, um, let's jump ahead a little bit and let's talk about, so you were working today, uh, you were doing the layout. Let's, let's get into some specifics, like maybe talk a little bit about, you know, tree stand prep and layout and, you know, maybe some things, tips and tricks for anybody out in the field right now where they're, you know, getting ready. They're, they're wanting to get their, their hang on up or their ladder stand or maybe their box blind. Anything that just comes to mind in your, you know, in, in your head that would be helpful. Be safe. <laughs> hang, hang your safe lines and hook in wherever you're at. Going up a tree, have your waist belt on as number one. Safety is everything because if you're not, you're not going to be hunting that fall. Um, number two. Spray down for ticks because they're wicked this year. I've had more ticks on me this year than I've ever had, and I'm out in the field every day of the summer, the worst of the heat, in some crazy nasty brush places, and the ticks are bad. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> what do you What are you using for spray down? People probably want to know. I I use Sawyer's with the permethrin in it. Okay. Yeah, yep. that's what they they used to give that when I was in the service. That's what we used, and it was. It's the best. <laughs> okay, good to know. But they're they're oddly worse this year than I've seen in a long time. So I don't know why, but they're they're bad. And uh, I mean the the biggest thing I can tell everyone is when you're out there doing your food plots, doing your tree stands, and prepping is slow down. You know, everyone and even me before I got to do this stuff every every day. I was always just trying to hurry up and get done so I could get to the next farm and get it done, but slow down and do it right the first time so that when you go back to hunt it, it's done correct. And when that big buck uses whatever that you created, whether it's a plot or walks through your shooting lane, don't forget that one limb, you know, take an extra five minutes and look around and say, okay, what if he comes this way? Just slow down and, and pay attention to the small things because even when we're out here doing it every day, it, it all comes down to the little detail that we might've forgot. And then it bites us later on in the season. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Very something people miss because, you know, we have limited time and don't be hanging tree stands at night. I want to make be clear that I, I don't do those things at night. There's certain things I do at night, but, but not, it's not let's, tree stands. <laughs> let's not run chainsaws and hang tree stands at night. Yeah, and yeah, for people with families and kids and businesses and all that stuff, you know, take you know maybe you have less property or, or less tree stands and and optimize those locations. Kind of what you're getting at, Perry. I mean, there's pretty good locations that you need to key in on and emphasizing the utilization of deer in those areas and you know maybe it's having fewer spots and just making sure like they're you know they're laid out pretty well it's as quick as you know how are you tying your safety line you know to the tree is it taut is it is it the right tension 
you know, is everything quiet? You know, is anything creaking? Like any of those things that could disadvantage you whatsoever, you've kind of got to expect that. And uh, I think a lot yep. of a lot of people, you know, they, they rush, right? And I think that's a, a great point that you made. Yeah, I mean, today when we finished the blind, the blind was up, the blind was done. My staple gun jammed, putting the carpet in the blind, so I got to get a new staple gun and redo that tomorrow. But before I left the blind, I checked all the hinges on the windows, and two of the hinges from we, – we buy these windows and then install them when we build the blinds. But uh, two of the hinges from the factory, whoever built them, wherever, were set too high. So the window was grabbing as opening. So mm. it was like squeaking really loud and, and making a, you know, like a sanding noise. So that if we would have went and hunted that blind – you know, we would try to open it to shoot a deer. We, there's no way we just spooked them. Yeah. So I adjusted them before I left. And, you know, that's just a small minor detail, you know, just like in a tree stand, if you climb into it and all of a sudden your, your bolts are a little rusty on your safety uh, cables and they go, when you step onto the platform, you know, you might've just spooked the, the one giant that's bedded a hundred yards from you. So you got to just take, take five minutes and just, iron out the details because it's going to save you in the long run yeah good point all right perry anything else on your mind that you kind of want to end with or anything that would be important for the, the listenership no nah, man i think i think it was good good i'm happy to catch up with you again i'm happy your honeymoon went well and you know we got a chance to do this we'll we'll catch back up with you probably closer to hunting season then we'll follow you through hunting season and and see how you guys are all doing without revealing too many secrets. Uh, but deer that you're after and things that you're doing and, you know, just kind of strategy. I think you're, we're going to have a chance to do strategy each year with each one of the contributors. I mean, we're all habitat managers at Sam, some point or land managers at some point. It's kind of breaking down, you know, how you're tracking a, a certain deer or just what activities you got going on. I think that's going to be kind of fun this year to talk about with everybody. So we'll, for sure. uh, we'll have some more from us uh, in an upcoming episode. All of our, uh, all of Drury's shows air, uh, this week, tomorrow. Awesome. All right. Tune so, in. Uh, yeah. Everybody tune into that. Yeah. You get to see, well, some of the team members and then 13 is the show that I'm on and all the farms that I manage are hunted on that show. So. Okay. Okay. So you're the, you're the, he's the main man on all that, all that stuff of success. We'll, we'll get, we'll give it to you, Perry. <laughs> Wait, nope. no, no, no. Wait and I work together every day. I'm I not know. Take, take it all. I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, we can still make fun of him for screwing up the beam plot. So that's what we'll, we'll, we'll. Oh yeah, for know. sure. So Let good. him have it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later, man. Bye. Yep. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.